Welcome to the BCMA podcast. Welcome to the third and final episode of our Rutherford Falls Recap Podcast. I'm Koei Taylor, and I'm the BCMA's Indigenous Outreach and Partnership Coordinator. And I'm Leah, the Learning Resources Coordinator. Today, we are going to be talking about topics and discussions in episodes 8 through 10, uh, finishing off the first season. We are going to uh, start with episode 8. Yeah, in this episode, Regan has taken this assistant director position from Terry at the casino and they head off to a gaming conference. I feel bad for Terry in this episode because he finds out that gaming is on the decline and won't be a great revenue source for Indigenous communities for very long. And he says something to Regan about the fact that he feels like the nation never catches up everything changes too fast. But there's this crazy, exciting, exciting for the gaming community, virtual reality experience that they're trying to sell. It creates this really stereotypical cowboys and Indians experience for visitors. And Terry thinks he'll just hop on board and that'll have to be the way they do it. And Regan really rallies him into seeing that's not the only option and how degrading that is to their community. Uh, So I feel like she steps into an interesting dynamic with Terry at the conference. Yeah, she definitely reminds him of the important things and the goals that he has in terms of supporting the community and representing them in the way that he would like to. By the end of the conference, he realizes that Although, like you mentioned, gaming seems to be on the decline in terms of like revenue and and excitement, that change isn't necessarily a bad thing. And it's an opportunity for him to reimagine what the center will be for his community, but also um, for others who are visiting. And you had mentioned that you noticed this dynamic between Regan and the other assistant directors too. Yeah, so it, it felt like all these assistant directors were talking about how their positions are very stagnant in terms of development, career growth, and that they were all quite content to not push the envelope, reimagine their spaces, and that Regan was a bit nervous about falling into that because she heard how long these folks were in those positions. So she, I think, moving forward was being mindful of not falling into that, especially with her cultural center, not just being stagnant, but instead be important for the community and really serve a cultural for for her community. Yeah. How do you work on your goals in that role too? And I I would assume people above them with the power of being in a higher position, there's also control over the types of programming and activities like that are within spaces. Of course, it could probably feel deflating if you have someone above you who doesn't share the same vision as you do. And it, of course, can be difficult to 
push what you would think is best for the community when you're not getting that support. But I think Regan is lucky that she has Terry and this friendship, this team has really come together and they bonded throughout the season. And I think you see this like positive glimmer of hope between the two of them and that they're really going to create this great center for their community. Yeah. And while Terry and Regan are away at the gaming conference, Nathan cooks up this whole plan with the mayor and with Bobby to sway public opinion back in favor of the statue and the museum. And it involves graffitiing the statue. So Nathan is out doing his public service of cleaning the statue. And he finds this little inscription on the arm that he had never noticed before. And it says Malmerd. And he takes it to, I wonder how he has a relationship with this indigenous elder, but he takes it to an elder in the community and gets her to tell him what it means. She explains this story of a monster with a white face who would eat children's poop. And he learns that Larry Rutherford was the original Malmare, the original white-faced monster. And it leads him to have to think about the fact that Larry didn't treat the Minishanka people very well. And he goes so far as to question the elder's knowledge of her own Indigenous language, for which he gets a hard slap on the face. So offensive if the Indigenous community is telling you something. You defer to their expertise, like they are experts of their own community. You, as a white person, are not an expert. It was such a shocking and quick exchange that it knocked me into tears, I think. I was laughing pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I think these last few episodes, Nathan's really struggling with facing the realities of his family's history in the community, and especially their relationship with the the Minishanka Nation, finding all of these things that really happened and was really tearing away at his identity. But I think it's the start of a really important journey for him to not take direct offense to this and to really learn, listen to the Indigenous community in Rutherford Falls so that he can start to understand like the true histories of his family because I think obviously that's important and I think that's important for every non-Indigenous person is to really listen to the Indigenous community to learn about their experiences and how like colonialism has impacted them in their community and Nathan this is just one example of him hopefully starting that journey. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's definitely a journey that's reflected in our reality in the sector right now for sure. And another, this idea that Terry comes up with to build ye old Rutherford village and it's a way to placate the lawsuit issue. So Terry pitches it to Nathan and to Mayor Chisenholm that will build Rutherford Falls like this historic community. I think they reference Colonial Williamsburg. So I picture every pioneer village I've ever been to as a child on field trips and it would be more jobs for all of the community and there would be tax breaks because it would be owned by the indigenous community. The casino would be expanded. Nathan could keep his house, but the land would be owned by the nation. Yeah. And like you say, it was a way for them to bypass the concerns they had with the lawsuit and that they would the downtown core intact, but under their own terms. And you see Nathan struggle with the way that Terry is viewing the Rutherford's position in that setup, in that there were some historical inaccuracies with 
clothing and like items that were involved. And it really parallels intentionally, I would think, the experiences that Indigenous communities have had throughout colonial history with the way that non-Indigenous people represent and tell Indigenous stories in historical spaces. So it was a really refreshing way to understand the impacts of all of that and how ultimately wrong it really is and how many people are hurt along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think first his outrage that he would be living on land he doesn't own is so reflective of the way that we have treated Indigenous land and creating reserves and having rules for Indigenous people. So it was part of that. He was so outraged and he doesn't recognize that like, that's what white people have been doing to Indigenous communities for so long. Yeah. And then like you mentioned, like there's all these historical inaccuracies that come up when in the next episode, Bobby kind of pushes Nathan to say, maybe if you don't like it, it's a really bad idea. You should actually sit on the the guiding committee because that way you have a say. You can make sure it all goes according to your plan. Terry says like, this is what's popular and, and butter churning is the thing that's most recognizable about settler communities. And you just think about all of the historical inaccuracies that indigenous communities have been portrayed with. Amalgamation of Plains culture that has created the stereotype of what is quote unquote Indian in movies and in popular culture, despite the tremendous diversity and cultural differences and traditions across what is now the U.S. or now Canada to see that white outrage at the historical inaccuracy. And that reminds me that when he was talking to Terry about these inaccuracies, he explained how different and how meaningful each item was, depending on the time, the person who wore it, things like that. And that, again, highlights how diverse and unique Indigenous communities are, and that If you are naive to the fact that there is that diversity, it can look similar, but in reality, it's not. So again, that was another parallel that I think they drew from in this episode, but was really important. Yeah. And then in episode nine, we also have Regan who finds out she's getting this beautiful two-story building in the new plan to be her cultural center. And Terry gives her a $20,000 budget to go to Nathan's Aunt Joan and try to purchase that collection back. And so she bypasses Nathan. He's supposed to get them when the aunt dies. And she decides she and Nathan are on rocky terms. I'm going to have to bypass Nathan and go do this myself. Regan takes Josh because eye candy and that podcasting voice will really get you. And the aunt is not interested. Regan pulls out this like hardball statement. Guess what, Joan? These items probably aren't NAGPRA compliant and either call the government or we can find a price. For anyone not familiar, NAGPRA, Native American Graves Protection Repatriation Act, I believe is the acronym. It's the federally legislated repatriation policy in the states. So they have mandated all publicly funded institutions. The year of its signing escapes my brain, but Every publicly funded institution was required to come up with a list of all of the cultural material in their collection and submit those lists to the corresponding nations that they would likely belong to. And the nations were then equipped with all of these lists that they could pursue repatriation of objects. There's 
way more complicated bits to it than that. That is an oversimplification. I'll try to remember to link in the show notes. There's a great comic strip about NAGPRA that is super informative and really fun, but there's no legislation like that in Canada. So we don't have legislation that mandates institutions to return cultural belongings. BCMA has launched the repatriation call to action, and we encourage everyone to read it and sign on. The fact that Regan has to pull out NAGPRA government compliance, or I'll pay you the money to have the items back, just strikes me as so in my face about how unfair returning objects is for Indigenous communities. You have government legislation, which is red taped galore and probably has a huge process and takes a lot of time and effort and energy Indigenous communities often don't have a person who can look through those lists and get things back in a timely way. Like it's all kinds of complicated. And at the same time, have to pay to have things that were wrongly taken from their community back to their community. Those items were likely sold under duress where communities had a need for financial stability to pay for food and to clothe their children. And they were in such a tough spot that they were forced to sell their cultural belongings to private collectors who thought, their communities would be gone. Those objects would never be made again. Why can't we just do the right thing instead of having legislated to do it or paid to do it? I think it really highlights how hard it can be to repatriate from personal collections versus an institution. And like you mentioned, we're still in this space where Indigenous communities are have the burden placed on them to repatriate whether it be the funds to physically bring the items home pay someone who has it in their personal collection create the facilities in their community to house the items like the list goes on and so we're still in a place where like i said the burden is on indigenous communities and the amount of money that regan is offering highlights the costs for Indigenous communities. And I think for the past few episodes, you really see the emotional toll on Regan realizing that there are so many cultural items, private collection, that she would not have known existed had she not had this relationship with Nathan. Mm -hmm. So it definitely makes you wonder how many more items are out in the world, even in this series for us as well. There are plenty of culturally significant items that have yet to be repatriated. And I think like you mentioned with our repatriation call to action, it should be a priority for institutions to connect with indigenous communities and see where they can be of service in terms of repatriation. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I'll link also, there's a fantastic book out of the States by the curator from the Denver Museum. And it's a lot of his interviews with communities who have undergone repatriation through NAGPRA. It's excellent. I'm halfway through it right now. There are definitely copies in the public library. I will link that in the show notes too. So at the end of episode nine, Regan brings P.F. Chang's food over to Nathan because while she and Josh were collecting the objects from Aunt Joan's house, they found a letter that reveals that Nathan's mother had an affair with a man with the last name D'Angelo. Nathan is just not a Rutherford at all. So she brings over P.F. Chang's as a peace offering, realizing that if she doesn't tell him, Josh will release this to the press. It doesn't go well. She leaves. They're both very angry. It's very upsetting. And at the end of the episode, Nathan talks to his brother and his brother confirms that this is something that he's been holding on to as well. And he really wanted to tell him back at Aunt Ida's birthday, but 
they didn't have a chance to do that. And he leaves town. He tries to pull the, the Larry statue down with his car and he loses the bumper and he just disappears from town for a while. Off on his own quest for identity. Mm-hmm. That was a huge moment for Nathan realizing that his whole being and his career and like you say, his identity isn't real. When he had that conversation with his brother about him not actually being a Rutherford, his brother spoke to that Nathan is more of a Rutherford than anyone else in the family because he has this huge attachment to the family, whether it be like the house, the house that his brother is in, uh, the history, and he does so much to try to keep the family name alive. But to Nathan, not being blood, doesn't count. So he's really struggling with that. And so he goes, like you say, off on a little quest to try to find himself. And he thinks maybe I can start rebuilding my identity that way. So we see Mm -hmm. him on this journey and realizing that he, although he, you know, isn't a Rutherford, he isn't really connecting with the D'Angelo family. Ultimately, who he is comes from him and that he doesn't need to have any sort of connection with the D'Angelo's or the Rutherfords. And so this is the start of him realizing that he has to find his own way. I did want to mention, just because I thought it was a funny thing to look at, was when Nathan's on his self-discovery trip, like you were talking about. And the D'Angelo restaurant apparently isn't even owned by the D'Angelo's anymore. And he does that eat three meals in an hour challenge. He barfs mid picture when he successfully eats all of this food in an hour. So the picture is going to be hung on the wall in D'Angelo's and it's him barfing. And I just thought it was such an interesting contrast to the like nice, neat, pretty Rutherford family legacy that he spent so long protecting to have this picture of him in such a state out publicly for everyone to see on his journey he goes to talk to this uncle who's in a retirement home and he ends up talking to a complete stranger. Like this man has dementia. He just goes with it. They have this whole nice day together. And so he connects with this person that he assumes is family, but isn't family. And I think that him being able to connect with someone and then realize that, that person is not who he thought they were. I think somehow that makes him recognize that you can connect with anyone if you try and if you want to. And I hope that frames some future work that he can do where there's collaborative relationships and that he trusts other people and he can listen without having to know everything already. There was something about that made me hopeful for Nathan. And then he does meet his real uncle in the retirement home who hasn't spoken for years because he's had a stroke. So that man can't tell him anything. I can't tell him anything about who he is or who he isn't because he's not a Rutherford. So I think there was like a lesson in there for Nathan and like listening to other people and listening to himself to figure out who he really is. was a nice little addition to his character development. Yeah, I was thinking the picture of him at D'Angelo's being in the state that he was, it was very imperfect. Uh, much like he's discovered with the Rutherford history. And I think the fact that he let that happen and the picture's still up there, it represents that he's accepted both the Rutherford's history, but his own as well. And things are 
messier than he knew and that ultimately that's okay and he's finding his own way back to Rutherford Falls and like you mentioned there is hopefully space for him to start to collaborate and share the full history of Rutherford Falls with um, the community and perhaps people who are visiting with this new potential town that Terry has in mind. And then while he's on this journey, Regan is concerned for him, calls calls him many times to try to get a hold of him. But meanwhile, she's very busy with her cultural center. She has this meeting with the community because there's been some feedback and concerns about her not representing them well and making sure that the center is culturally significant to the community. So she gets on this call and, you know, initially it doesn't start out very well, but she eventually is honest with the community and, and starts to win people. Mm, yeah, she gets all this pushback because everyone is saying, you know, she left the community and, and she turned her back on poor Ray, who she left the day before her marriage or however dramatic that seemed to be. And she's not as knowledgeable in the culture as other people are. So maybe she's not the right person. And Terry says this analogy about crabs in the bucket, how none of the crabs will get out of the bucket because if you become too successful, someone will pull you back into the bucket. So she has this meeting to convince everyone and it opens this trapdoor of criticisms from the community. But then she says, and I'll quote her here, I just want all of us crabs to get out of the bucket because the bucket is the problem. And she's saying the colonial constructs that we are living in, the policies and the rules and the legislation, those are the bucket. We have to get rid of the bucket. The bucket is the problem. We are not the problem. Tearing each other down is not going to help. So it was really a powerful moment in her kind of claiming this position as hers. Like she wants to run the cultural center. She will have the best interests of the community at heart and she will do her best to make sure that it is everything that they had hoped for. And she recognizes she can't please everyone, but if she can at least make the majority happy and proud of it, that is enough. So it's nice to see her really strong in that role and strong in her beliefs and really face up the community in a strong and supportive way. Mm-hmm. Alongside Terry too, because previously he talks about the spaces in the cultural center and how they'll be useful for the community and quite dynamic. I see Regan be flexible and collaborative with the community and her exhibits and things like that. I think that was another element of, oh, okay, we can trust her with this. Let's see how things go. And that really built the support that she received during that phone call. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she had that great exhibit under her belt already too, with all those community objects. So I feel like she was building a lot of trust with that and making sure she was telling those stories. And then the series ends with this scene of Nathan driving his car and he's changing the radio stations and he falls onto national public radio and it's Josh's voice. And he's saying, I got off a train in Rutherford Falls and these are the things that awaited me, this story of perfection and the downfall of Nathan Rutherford. So that the series is called An American Powder Keg, the story of Nathan Rutherford. And it's Josh's NPR series. And I hope that doesn't turn Nathan back into his maniac perfection self, but the series has been renewed for season two. So I'm sure we'll find out what that means for Nathan. And we'll hopefully see Regan get her cultural center all up and running and Yeah, I'm I'm excited that it's been renewed for season two. I'm really hopeful that we'll have a chance to watch that and 
and talk about that sometime too at BCMA. But yeah, it was a fantastic series. It was. It touched on a lot of really important topics and I really appreciated the humor that they injected into it and the way that they kind of told those narratives and perspectives and it felt very approachable. And so I hope everyone who took the time to watch the series really felt that as well and could take some of those thoughts and implement them in their work and their daily lives and to really begin to build relationships with Indigenous communities and to learn and listen ultimately as well. And of course, we couldn't touch on everything that was in the series and there's so much great stuff. So we recognize that not everything's in these podcasts, but we really appreciate everyone listening. It was a lot of fun to put this together. I know that Lee and I really enjoyed watching this series. If you had any last minute comments, questions, we would love to chat and hopefully we'll be continuing on this series with season two. Yeah, we could talk for hours with all these topics. If anyone is looking for extra stories, learning resources, case studies, if you saw something in the series and you're really wondering more about it, please get in touch with us. We're happy to point you to new resources. You can email bcma at museum.bc.ca and our staff will direct those straight to Koei and I. I think this brought up all kinds of stuff that we could talk about. We're happy to chat about that with anyone who wants to. So get in touch. We're happy to share resources and hopefully we'll be chatting with you again soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.